So would you give a warm Whitley welcome to Thank Mr. You. Scott Smith? Thank you, brother. Love you. Appreciate you. I don't know if that time, can that be right? I thought you'd been at Whitley for 23 years, Andy. About that long, have it? Seems like it to some folk anyway. I love Andy. Y'all love Andy? Isn't he a cool guy? He thinks he's cool anyway. Uh, that's, that's one of the great things about Whitley. You guys have a great staff that love Jesus and love each other. And uh, it's always a joy to hang out with them a little bit while I'm here. We've had a great weekend. Uh, as best I understand, record crowd at the Ridge, record crowd last night. And, uh, and, and, and we're having a great service this morning. What's important, though, is not even that I'm here, that you're here. Jesus Christ is in the house this morning, and it's he that we lift up and worship in truth and in spirit. And we praise God for that. It's great to be back at Whitley. And uh, we have had a tremendous, tremendous weekend, and we just know God's going to bless this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to be this morning. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. The Lord just has really been good to us this weekend. Uh, Pastor Farrell is, is uh, down the road uh, preaching for somebody else this morning. And, and uh, so when the cat's away, the mice will play so we can have a good time without him. Amen. Pastor Farrell's a pretty cool guy, isn't he? Ugly as sin, but he's a cool, cool guy. I tell you, I tell you what, folks, I, I know that God has done so much through Whitley Church. And I know that he, he, he was at work long before I stepped in the building, and I know I'm going to be gone in a very short amount of time back to my family in Knoxville, Tennessee, but I, I believe everything, I believe nothing happens by accident. And I believe everything is a divine appointment. I believe this is a divine appointment. And, 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 and I believe God is wanting to do something in these few moments that we're going to have together that could radically change your life, that could radically impact this church and even this community for Jesus. You know, every time you go to the library or if you were to go back and look in, so, in some of the books on revival through the years, about when God, a move of God would sweep across Europe or sweep across America like it did in the first great awakening or the second great awakening. So many times those great moves of God can be traced back to a small group of people that were passionate and were desperate and were willing to do whatever it took to get a hold of the throne of God. Wouldn't it be great if we saw in our generation a widespread national revival where America turned her heart back to God? Wouldn't that be awesome? And wouldn't it be awesome if the history books 50 years from now or 100 years from now were able to trace that move of God back to a move that started somewhere in North Carolina? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't it be neat if we could even trace that back 100 years from now, 200 years from now, when historians were pouring over what happened to turn America's heart back to God beginning in 2011, and as best they could tell, it started one little weekend way back when in 2011, July, at a church called Whitley Church. Wouldn't that be awesome? Folks, I tell you what our nation needs today is not a political reform. What our nation needs today is not to raise the debt ceiling or come out with another program. What our nation needs today is not a different party in the White House. What our nation, nation needs today is not anything economically, politically, or socially. What our nation needs today is a change in the hearts of men. And the only thing that will change men's hearts is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. We need a move of God in our nation again. But that's got to start with somebody. And usually when we come and we worship and we listen and we hear what the Word of God says, there's a gap. There's a gap between where we are now and where we would be if we would see that move of God. Where we are now and where we would be if we would see God's Spirit unrestrained moving through our lives, our families, our workplaces, our classrooms, our culture. There's a gap. And in that gap are things that need to be addressed, things that need to be uh, uh, uncovered, things that need to be removed in your life and in mine that are hindering and choking out the move of the Spirit of God. What if I told you that there was a simple prayer in Scripture that would change all that? What if I told you that there was a two-verse prayer that if enough of God's people prayed it, it could open the windows of heaven and send a move of God like we've never seen before in our families, in our church, in our city, in our state, our nation? What if I told you that there was a two-verse prayer that if enough people prayed it, we could begin to see the changes that we've hoped for and longed for, but we didn't know would come that way. 
What if I told you that it was one of the most powerful prayers that a believer could ever pray, but very few believers ever even pray it? What do you pray for? What do we pray for, really think about it? I mean, we pray that God will keep us safe in traffic on the way to work. We pray that God will fix our boss so our job will go better. We pray we fight a job because the economy's terrible. We pray that God will act, make our kids act better. We, we pray that God will make our spouse act better. We pray that God will change our circumstances, keep us from getting sick, heal us when we do get sick. We pray so many things. What do we pray, to, pray about? I believe you can tell the spiritual power level of a church, the spiritual power level of a believer, the spiritual power level of a family, by what they're asking God for, by what they're asking God to do. Not wrong to pray for any of those things that are about ourselves, not at all. But I'm wondering if we're really getting a hold of the bigger picture of what's going on. Because do you understand that God has not put you here just to build your own kingdom? God has put you here on purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God in the earth while you're here. That's why you're here. No matter what you're going through, to glorify God. But what do we pray for? One time this guy was praying, and he's like, Lord, how long is a million years to you? And God said, only a minute. Wow. God, how much is a million dollars to you? God said, only a penny. He said, God, could I have a penny? (laughs) God said, in a minute. And so... What are you asking God for? I want to look at a two-verse prayer, two-verse prayer at the end of Psalm 139 that is one of those powerful prayers that you could ever pray, guaranteed to be answered by God and guaranteed to bring radical reform like you've never seen in a way that glorifies him the most. Two-verse prayer. I wonder who'd pray it today. Verse 23, here it is. Verse 23, Psalm 139, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we come to you today and we ask in Jesus' name that you would unfold the truth of this unchanging word to our heart. God, I pray you'd give us insight into the text and that it would hold authority and weight above all other things in our world, in our thinking, in our minds as we read it, as we study it together today. May we never be the same. Lord, I pray that you would give us holy unction to both listen and respond. We don't want to see today what man can do. We want to see what God can do. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Psalm 23, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't know if you caught it, but this prayer, best as I can tell, falls into three sections. First section is this, and I wonder who would be willing to do this, but here's what he's praying. Lord, first of all, reveal anything unseen in me. I mean, basically, that's what he's saying. Lord, if there's anything unseen, whatever's lurking beneath the surface of our heart, whatever's threatening your your testimony in my life, whatever's threatening your, your, your glory in my life, whatever's whatever the ticking time bombs are that are under the surface of my heart that I don't know about, Lord, I want you to show them to me. Go go to the text. He says, search me, oh God. By the way, this is a biblically selfish prayer. He says, me, search me, know my heart, fix me, change me, test me. If there's any wicked way in me, folks, I'm telling you, listen to me. Here's the bottom line. I'm just going to cut to the chase, tell you the quite honest truth. Here's what it is. Listen, the average church is not going to see revival until we quit pointing our fingers at everybody else waiting on everybody else to get right. Lord, fix her. Lord, change her. Lord, get them. Lord, change them. And say, Lord, it's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Amen. It's not until we draw a circle around ourselves and say, Lord, I want you to start revival in my church. I want you to send revival to my workplace. I want you to send revival to my school. I want you to send it, do it, change it, make it happen, and start inside my own circle. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh who? Search. Th- <laughs> Thank you, both of you. <laughs> this would be the interactive portion of the program. Okay. Search me, oh. Search me, oh. Can I make an observation? He's going to the right spot, ain't he? <laughs> I mean, if you want to get searched, going to God's a good idea. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. God knows your heart better than your therapist. Dr. Phil ain't got nothing on God. Amen? Fact of the matter is, you cannot know, I cannot know our own heart apart from the God that made it. You can't. Francis Schaeffer once said this. He said, essentially, we are icebergs. What did he mean by that? He meant Presbyterians. No, I'm just kidding. What did he, what did he mean by icebergs? He, he meant this. If you go out to the North Atlantic, hope there are no Presbyterians there. God's frozen chosen. Anyway, you go out to the North Atlantic and you see icebergs, you only see 10% of the iceberg, don't you? Why? Because the remaining 90% of the iceberg is where? He said, when he said that we are icebergs, that's exactly what he meant. You're at any given time, in any given situation, apart from a revelation of God, you're only going to know about 10% of your real motives, 10% of the real agenda. Friend, how do you know, how many of you know we can even fool ourselves? Amen? So he said, search me, oh God, search me. Have you ever seen somebody out there and, uh, and, and, and they, 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 they're going to church, they're in the choir, they teach a class, they wear Jesus shirts, got bumper stickers, and, and they love God. And, and then all of a sudden something happens, I don't know, and they just take a different trajectory altogether in their spiritual walk. They just, they just they quit going to church and they quit reading the Bible and they, they deny Christ and they run with a different crowd and they listen to different music and they dress in different clothes, you know, you know what I mean? And they just take a nose dive spiritually. And then you confront them and you say, man, why the change? What happened to you? How come it's so different? You just checked out on Jesus. And then, then they give you this wonderful philosophical postmodern answer. Well, I'm just trying to find myself. You ever heard that one? I want to say, well, there you are. Now stop it. <laughs> I'm just trying to find out who I am. One time in, in college, there was, there was a girl that did this. Uh, if I named her, Andy would know who she was, but she was kind of walking with Jesus, you know, pretty much uh, solid, right on, witness, sharing her faith, all that. And then she just kind of checked out on God. And one of our good friends confronted her and said, why the change? She said, well, I'm just trying to find out who I am. He said, well, what if you find out you're an onion? She said, what do you mean by that? He said, what if you spend the next three or four or five years of your life chasing your flesh, trying to find out who you are, and you just peel back layer after layer after layer of the onion to find out you're nothing more than the sum of your parts without Jesus, still powerless, full of flesh, and empty on the inside. Search me, oh God. You know, you know, we can't know our own heart apart from the God that made us. He understood that. So he went to God and said, search me, oh God. Why? Because God don't know everything about you. No, that's not at all. Matter of fact, check out verse 1. Verse 1 says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse 23 makes a request, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Wait a minute. Verse 1 said, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Apparently, David wrote this psalm after he had contracted Alzheimer's. Because <laughs> by the time he got to verse 23, he'd done forgot what he wrote in verse 1. Bless his heart. No, no, no. David knew exactly what he was writing. Listen, when he gets down to verse 23, having already said in verse 1, God, you've searched me. When he says in verse 23, search me and know my heart, he's not saying, God, I want you to search me so you can find out something about me you don't know about me. He's saying, Lord, I want you to search me so you can show me something about me that I can't know about me apart from you. Why don't we pray this prayer? Why don't we pray this prayer? Here's why we don't pray this prayer. Because God might answer it. Amen? Amen? I mean, good gracious, God might answer it. What if God answers it and he shows me that I'm unforgiving and full of bitterness? What if God answers it and he shows me that I'm manipulative and a liar? What if God answers it and he shows me that I'm, that I'm, that I'm selfish and unkind? What if God answers it and he shows me I'm lustful, materialistic? What if God? We don't pray this prayer because God might answer it. <laughs> we are so uptight. Amen. We are self-conscious. We are. We're paranoid. I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm, I'm just as paranoid as the next guy. That's why I don't go to football games anymore. Because I know when they get in that little circle down on the field and they're talking, they're talking about me. And I ain't going back. I'm not putting up with it. But we don't, we don't, man, because we, we don't like it. Listen, we don't like it when somebody comes to us and shares what we call a blind spot about us. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? A blind spot? We don't like blind spots. 
Why? Because what that means is, and this is why we get mad when somebody brings up a blind spot, because we didn't know it was there. A blind spot is, you know something about me, I don't know about me. And I like to think I know everything about me. And David understood that, Lord, I am loaded with blind spots. I don't even see them. And the only way I'm going to see them is you. I'm telling you there are things that are ticking time bombs, landmines, beneath the surface of my heart, in my flesh, that are all there all the time that I need God to show me, God to reveal. That's what he's praying. Lord, show me. But we don't like that. We don't like being checked out. We don't like being looked over. We don't like report cards. We don't like quarterly reviews. We don't like critique sheets, right? (laughs) I started preaching when I was 16 years old. I couldn't preach a lick, as they say in Georgia. I couldn't preach my way out of a wet paper bag. But you know what? Just because you're, if you're 16 and just because you're trying to do it, when you finish your attempt and you preach, and then you go stand at the back door of a little country church and you shake hands, here's the thing. Just because you're young and 16 and trying to preach, every grandma in Georgia will meet you at the back door, shake your hand, pat you on the back, pinch your cheek, and then lie to you and say, you're the next Billy Gray. <laughs> and when you're 16, you believe it, <laughs> Right? She said, I'm the next Billy Graham. (laughs) And you know what God says? God says, let him think that. God's not worried that your head's getting bigger than you can carry. Because he knows one day he's going to take you to class. Right? He's going to grow you up. I went to class. I, I I didn't even realize. Man, they had, I went in college preaching class. And then you ain't done. You go to seminary, and guess what? They give it to you again because you didn't get it the first time. Preaching class. Matter of fact, there's two kinds of preaching class. There's sermon preparation class and sermon delivery class. Sermon prep class is where you learn to pre- uh, write sermons. Sermon delivery class is where you learn to preach the sermon you wrote. Two kinds of pre- – Pharaoh skipped both. But anyway, they, they, they have the – so – and I get to preaching class, and I'm going to go preaching class, and then I find out that half the guys in my little preaching class had never preached before in their life, and the first sermon they'd ever preach, they preach in that class. And I thought, man, this is great, because I've got something they don't have. Experience. <laughs> we'll show them how it's done, man. I've been preaching. I remember that class. They say, they say if you can preach in preaching class, you can preach anywhere. It's the hardest place on the planet to preach. Why? Because the whole time you're preaching, your, cl- your classmates are sitting out there with their Bibles open and white sheets of paper, and they're writing the whole time you're preaching. But they're not taking notes on your sermon. They're not like, oh, wow, that's good. No, no, they're right. Th- those things are called critique sheets, right? And on that sheet, they're, writing, they're not writing stars and smiley faces with stickers and little statements like, you're the next Billy Graham. They're not writing that. They're writing stuff you need to fix, stuff you need to change, stuff you're doing you don't know you're doing that's distracting from the message, everything in the world, oh my goodness. And then after you get done preaching, we just talk about it for about an hour. What's the amazing thing is your sermon was only 10 minutes. Every sermon in preaching class had to be 10 minutes long. And in that 10 minutes, you had to have, you had to have a reading of the text, exegetical background, first, second, third point. Each point had to have explanation, illustration, argumentation, application with a closing restatement, visualization, and the final conclusion. <laughs> And it had to be less than 10 minutes. If you went over 10 minutes, they'll dock points. I'm thinking to myself, unintimidated, that's fine. Bring it on. I'm going to give them the wildest 10-minute ride of their lives. (laughs) When it's my turn to preach, they'll be whisked away to homiletical heaven. When it's my turn to preach, they'll be enraptured by a revelational revolution. When it's my turn to preach, there'll be nothing on the critique sheet because they'll lay down their pins. They'll rend their garments lest they would ever raise a pin against God's anointed. (laughs) After I preach, and you know I'm anointed because I do that. And we, had, we, only had, we only met twice a week, and we only had two preachers a day, and we went by alphabetical order. So my, I'm a smith. I didn't even preach the first sermon until halfway through the whole semester. I'd heard them guys preach, and they did okay. A lot of them first time, they'd get up there nervous, and they'd preach. But I was ready, son, when it was my turn to preach. I went in. I walked in the room. I walked into Humiliation Headquarters. I walked into Depression Depot. I said no to the free volume they give you at the door. I didn't need it. It's all right. I find, Man, I had my suit on. had my notes right. had the sermon down. I was ready to preach. Boom, the clock started. I was like a 
greyhound out of the gate. Spit was flying, fingers popping, fingers pointing. My tie was hitting guys in the face on the front row. It was great. It was great. I remember I gave a little cute little poem, said a short prayer, amen, sat down, nine minutes, 58 seconds. Thank you. (laughs) Straightened my tie and waited for the applause. And waited. <laughs> Man, that was a long time ago. I'd still be waiting. You know why? Because my sermon was 10 minutes, but for 45 minutes, a bunch of heathens cleaned my clock. That's what they did. Man, they worked me over. They, worked, they turned that sermon up one side down the other. Man, it was awful, awful, man. I, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hear what I heard. They were right, and I knew it, and I wanted to leave. I didn't want to sit there through that whole thing. I, by the way, none of those guys were saved. All of them going to hell, but... but <laughs> But man, it was awful. It was terrible. And, and man, none of us like none of us like that. But I didn't like. I didn't, it was. Aw- but listen, those guys weren't mean. Those guys weren't vindictive. They weren't. They weren't gloating. Our professor told us. He said, "Look, you know what? You're going to get out of this class, and you're going to realize one day that this class helps you more than any other class. You'll get more help for your ministry right here than the rest of your entire ministry." Because you can always count on people to meet you at the back door of church and tell you you did a good job when you preached when you did not. These guys will tell you the truth because they care about your ministry. He was right. See, the problem wasn't them, the problem was me. You know what the Bible says? Better are the wounds by a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Thank God for friends that love us enough to tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. That's a true friend. How much more does God love us? How much more does God love? Listen, the problem in that class, the problem wasn't them, the problem was me. If I'd have gone in with a search me attitude, it'd have hurt me less and it'd have helped me more. David understood that. He said, God, I'm coming in and I know, I, I know you know me. I, I, I know it won't be uncomfortable. I know I might get upset, but it's worth it, Lord. Jesus, please show me. Search me, oh God. Reveal the unseen in me. Why don't we pray it? You know, you know one of the problems? We, we don't see our sin for what it is. You, you know, I don't know about you, but I cannot stand spiders. I hate them. <laughs> I don't believe there were any spiders in the Garden of Eden. You know, Eve bit the fruit and spiders popped out all over the place. <laughs> hate them. I think, I think because it was, I was traumatized by a child. As a child, rather. I'm sorry, that's another illustration. <laughs> I was traumatized as a child by a spider. The earliest memory, I, if when I go back into my mind, the earliest memory that I can recall it had to do with a spider. It scarred me for life. I, was, I remember, here's what was happening. I was about five years old. It was, I was playing in the backyard on a hot day in, in, on our little chicken farm in North Georgia on a hot day in the backyard. Now, what does a dirt road kid wear on a hot day in the backyard? Man, I, I was out there nothing but shorts. And I'm running around barefooted. I look down, and there's a spider this big crawling up my leg. Well, he's probably only that big, but I was that tall. I was scared of spider. He's that big. Ah. And he's heading up my britches. And the only, I, so I did the only thing I knew to do as a five year old with a spider on my leg. Dad! Dad! Spider! Spider! I'm telling you this story today, and honestly, that spider was probably running, screaming, crazy white boy, crazy white boy, right? Man, my dad showed up in five minutes, man. He was there. He, my, dad, my dad showed up. He, was gonna, he had a big ass on his chest, big red cape blowing in the breeze, going to save a boy from the spider. I got naked in five seconds, Right? So listen, I got naked in five seconds. I had my dad checking me out. Had my dad look at me. I didn't care who was driving by. I didn't care who saw me. I didn't care what people thought. All I cared was one thing. All I cared about, get the spider off of me, right? I'm 40 years old. I'm no better. <laughs> you know the spider I can't stand today? I cannot. St- I, the kind I can't stand today is that, it's that spider that builds, uh, he builds a condominium beside the floodlight in your carport. Have you seen that thing? Man, I can't, big old honey on him. Can't stand it. The Asian big honey spider, I think. I can't stand it. Why? Why? Because that's the one. You know what? You've been there, haven't you? On your way to church, you got every hair's where it ought to be. 
and you got your dress on and your suit, whatever, and, and you walk through that spider. Whoa! Walk through that spider web. Whoa! Yeah! 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 yeah. <laughs> what happened to you? Is that caffeine or the Spirit of God? I mean, we don't know. Turn a Baptist into a charismatic. I'm talking about a spider web, man. You don't, listen, you don't care about your hairstyle. You don't care about your dress. You don't care who's around, who's what. You don't care about dignity. You don't care about reputation. You don't, the only thing you care about is get this matter out of me. I got a 12-year-old daughter. She's inherited this gene. <laughs> She'll be screaming, Daddy, a spider, a spider. I'm right beside her going, I know it. I see it. That's why I'm behind Mama. My wife's like, can't stand them, man. You know, listen, you can rename spider a ladybug. That don't help me none. Because I know what it is. It's a threat. I don't care. I don't care. But listen, folks, I'm telling you, when we see our sin for what it is, when we see our sin for what it is, when we see our sin for the threat that it is, and stop renaming it and stop categorizing it and stop calling it something else, I'm telling you, we won't care who's watching. We won't care what people think. We won't care about maintaining dignity or maintaining reputation. All we'll care about it is in our desperation. Lord Jesus, purge the thing that threatens what you're doing in my life. That's all that matters. And I've been traveling this country for 15 years full-time around preaching, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again today because it needs to be said in our generation, we will see revival only when our desperation factor exceeds our embarrassment factor. And in most hearts, it has not. When we see our sin for what it is. See, you show me a guy that hates doctors, hates hospitals, hates needles, doesn't want to go. If he has an inkling that he might have cancer, guess what? He's going to the doctor. Because he understands the magnitude of the problem. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Sin in my life, sin in your life is to our soul what cancer is to our body. Sin is to your marriage what cancer is to your body. Sin is to your testimony what cancer is to your body. Sin is to your stewardship what cancer is to your body. Sin is to your emotional health what cancer is to your body. Sin is to your testimony what cancer is to your body. And I'm telling you, show a guy what sin really is, and he sees it, and he understands the threat. He will gladly go to Dr. Jesus for a diagnosis. Reveal the unseen in me. And very quickly as we move ahead, number two, not only reveal the unseen in me, but number two, remove the unstable from me. Go to verse uh, 23, second line. That'd be 23B. Psalm 139, try me, test me, and know my anxieties. Now, I don't know about you, but that's radical enough for me. I mean, listen, listen to him, man. He's asking God for a test. People say things to me like, Scott, you think you'll ever go back to seminary and work some more on some more degrees? Probably not. Why not? Tests. I don't like them. You like them? I'm like Mikey who prayed, now I lay me down to rest. Lord, help me pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take. That, that's just kind of the... <laughs> so I don't like that. He's asking God for a test. Now... Where it gets radical is where you delve into the meaning of the word. Here's where the word test comes from. It's not test like you think and I think test. It comes from the world of metallurgy. You know, like an ironsmith working with iron, a silversmith working with silver, a goldsmith working with gold. What do they do? Well, they mine ore, gold ore, for instance, in a goldsmith case. They iron ore out of, they, they mine ore out of the ground and they take the gold ore and now they're going to use it. What do they do? Well, the first thing they do is they got to refine it. So what do they do is that what they do is they take the, the gold ore and they put that into the furnace. That is the word test. That is exactly what it means to place into the furnace. Now, why does he do that to that gold ore? Because he hates gold and he's mad at that ore. No, he's got a process. 
that he's attaining through and to. Are you with me? He puts it in. Why? Because you know, here's what happens. You put gold ore or iron ore or silver ore in the furnace and you turn up the heat. So when he turns up the heat, what happens? Everything that is not gold, all the dross, all the compromised areas, all the impurities begin to separate out from the real gold and they begin to come to the surface. And then when it comes to the surface, he can scoop that away and then he turns down the heat and he removes it and what comes out of the furnace is more pure, more usable, and more beautiful than what went in. Do you know where I'm going with this? That is exactly what David prayed for. David's saying, Lord, I'm willing for you to take me into the furnace. It's the same word in Jeremiah 9, 7. Thus says the Lord, I'll melt them and try them. Same word used in Job 23, 10. When he tries me, I will come out as gold because there's some things in my life that need to be removed that are instabilities. That's the next word. He says, test me and know my anxieties. And we think anxiety, we think, you know, popping volume and chewing our nails. That's not what he's talking about. The word anxieties comes from a Hebrew word that means opposing sides or divided opinions. In the New Testament, the word is double-mindedness. He's saying, Lord, there's double-mindedness in my life. And you know what, gang? I'm a preacher. I'll admit it. There's double-mindedness I deal with. There's double-mindedness you deal with. There's areas in your life and areas in my life where we're on again, off again, up again, down again, in again, out again, hot again, cold again, right? Areas of, well, we call it hypocrisy. Areas where we're not single-minded and we're not focused. We, 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 we want to we do it the Bible way, but we often choose the world way. We want to do it the righteous way, but we sometimes choose the sin way. We want to do it God's way, but we often walk in the flesh way. And David's saying, man, I know this stuff is there. Now, here's the thing. We know it's there too, but we see it in everybody else. A whole lot easier than we see it in us. That's why we have road rage. Because they're lousy drivers. There's only so many perfect drivers in the world, right? (laughs) I mean, we see the speck in their eye, but we do miss a lot of planks in our own. I mean, mean, you know, one one time my wife and I, we had just gone out to eat, and then we went to Walmart because that's what you're supposed to do after you go out to eat. And so, so we're, we're going through Walmart, and we, we pass an end cap where there's a, a fish tank, and they got these fish for sale. And, and, uh, and, and true story, I don't want to gross you out, but it, this is what was happening in the tank. There was a fish about the size of my hand, and he was, he was, he was eating another fish. He was, ha, ha, another fish. Head first, another fish, <laughs> raw, uncooked, never seen a grill in his life. Just <laughs> there's fish food on the top, doesn't matter. He's <laughs> and his the little, little dude's still alive too. His other tail's just <laughs> <and> he's just <laughs> and my wife and I are standing there, grossing out. Oh my goodness! Oh, come on, associate, somebody, come please help rescue the. Could you? This is terrible in front of God and everybody. It just he's just it was his roommate ten minutes ago. Now it's lunch. He just. <laughs> What made this so hypocritical is she and I had just got back from eating sushi ourselves. <laughs> and it's amazing. We will condescend towards somebody. Well, look, I can't, you know, look how that guy runs to the door after church. He can't wait to get out there and smoke that cigarette. I'll never smoke. You won't see me smoking. So that's a filthy habit. My body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't smoke, never smoke. I won't let my kids smoke. And while you're condescending for their smoking habit, you're not listening to the fact that half the week, half the stuff that comes out of your mouth is 10 times worse than what he's dragging into his. We condescend to why she used to teach a class at our church, and now she don't go to church. By the way, she's even living with that guy, and she ain't even married him, living in sin like that. Can you believe that? And while you're condescending to her for her sinful lifestyle, what you're condemning in her, you use for entertainment, watching it on television five nights a week. An old lady come up to me. She say, "Preacher Scott, this week if you do, if we're having youth night, will you, on youth night, will you do me a favor?" I say, "What is it?" She say, "You tell them kids not to listen to that rock and roll music. You need to tell them kids not to listen to that rock and roll music. That devil music, that devil beat rock and roll music. Yes, ma'am. Well, I might do that. Let me ask you a question. What kind of music do you listen to?" 
She said, listen, you just tell them kids that they don't need to, they don't need to listen to that rock and roll. That rock and roll music's a scourge on the country, and it's a scourge on the sheep. You tell them kids not to listen to that rock and roll. Yes, ma'am, well, what kind of music do you listen to? She said, I don't listen to rock and roll. And you need to tell them kids not to listen to them rock and roll musics either. You just tell them, yes, ma'am, well, what kind of music? I might do that. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, I don't listen to rock. I listen to country. Oh, ho, ho. That's great. Shot my dog, got drunk last night, cheating on my wife, in my truck. I mean, same stuff, different tune. Amen. It's amazing. We will, you know what? We will talk about people behind their back about the fact that they keep talking about us behind our back. Listen we, listen, we are loaded with this stuff. And the truth is, we don't see it most of the time. And you know what? I believe, and I believe David understood this, this stuff like this. It can't be Bible studied out of us. It can't be churched out of us. It can't be revival meetinged out of us. It can't be camp meetinged out of us. It can't be conferenced out of us. It can only be burned out of us by the fire and the furnace of God. There are some things in my life and yours that can only be dealt with in a furnace. And David valued the product more than a pain-free life. Lord, I'm willing to go to the furnace. I'm willing to go to the, you say, Brother Scott, God's got me in a furnace. We'll join the club. You say, all right, I've been there a long time. How do I know when God's done? (laughs) You ask a silversmith, how do you know when the silver's been in the furnace long enough? He'll say this, when I can see my reflection in the silver, I know I'm about done. But isn't that what God's after you? He's conforming us to the image of his son that we might reflect his glory in the earth and he's burning out the dross to do it. And I'm telling you, those furnaces are over a whole lot quicker when we cooperate with the working and the move of God to reflect him. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can... You understand, folks? David understood the power of this, and he said, Lord, I know that you've got a bigger thing in mind than my comfort, and so I'm willing to sacrifice comfort to go through the process to get to the place where it's removed so that I can reflect you and all your glory, reveal the unseen in me, and remove the unstable things from me. And lastly, not only reveal the unseen in me, not only remove the unstable from me, but also lastly replace anything ungodly about me. Verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in, and it could be lead me instead in the way everlasting. See if there's any wicked way in me. NIV says, see if there's any offensive way in me. In other words, Lord, if there's something in my life that offends you, it ought to offend me. If there's something that, if it bothers you, it ought to bother me. If it turns you off, I want it to turn me off. Friend, I'm telling you, one of the greatest problems in the church today is that so much that turns him off doesn't turn us off. If you don't believe it, just look at what the average Christian will use his entertainment or where he'll go online. I'm telling you, it's like Nancy Lee DeMoss said. She said, the bride of Christ has forgotten how to blush. Lord, if it turns you off, I want it to turn me off. I wonder what's turned off Jesus. I, I remember hearing this story about a nativity play at a church. You know, the church had this nativity play with the kids, Christmas program. And, and uh, where all the kids get to wear their dad's robe and towels on their head. And, and they, had, they had all everything set up. They had cardboard camels and sheep. And, and they had, they had uh, a little manger scene up on the stage. And they had picked out a 12-year-old Joseph and a 10-year-old Mary. And they had the plastic baby Jesus in the manger. And, and, they, and they'd done this. They wanted this to be a multimedia event. And so what they did was they, they waited. They were going to sing all the Christmas carols in one night you've ever heard in your life. And then they were going to get up to the last, the one that has the high crescendo note the best one to end on as they gather around the manger there and then they had Bubba in the back he's going to kill the lights because they they had this it was all planned out they had this bulb this light bulb inside that plastic baby Jesus so 
when they killed the lights on that crescendo note, that the, the, the light would be emanating from the manger. And so, boy, they'd done this play, and they had all the wise men and the shepherds down there, and, and Joseph and Mary were right where they ought to be, looking like statues, man. They were just wasn't moving their muscle, and, and they had the, everything was just right, and Bubba knew what the high note was, and he was ready with his hand on the light. So they, they hit it, and they're singing, and Bubba, boo, he killed the light. Shoo. I mean, lights just, whew. Pitch dark in that place, not a light on. It was so dark you couldn't hardly see your hand in front of your face. Silence fell over the entire auditorium till one kid broke it when he said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Somebody turned off Jesus. (laughs) You've been there, haven't you? You ever been to a church? And you walk in, and in five minutes, you're standing there thinking, I wonder who turned off Jesus. You ever walked into a home, and you're standing there, and you're looking around, supposedly a Christian home, and you're looking, and you're listening, and you're thinking, I wonder who turned off Jesus. I wonder who offended the master. I wonder who said, my sin matters more than his presence and his power. I wonder who turned off Jesus. So often those things remain because when God brings them up, instead of getting rid of them in conviction, we categorize them. Right? We got categories. We got big sins. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to kill nobody. It's sin. Don't cheat on your wife. That's wrong. Then that little stuff, well, jealousy, envy, strife, gossip. I mean, we got categories. I mean, everybody does them little ones. Big sin, small sin. I remember hearing this about this Fortune 500 company, and they threw this big banquet for all their executives, and these men and women are sitting around this tables, you know, and there's a smorgasbord there, and, and, and huge company, Fortune 500, big company, and, and there's, there's a woman sitting here, and there's a man sitting here. They've never met. They've never met. They're sitting there at the table. A man, the man turns to her, and he beckons her over, and he whispers in her ear, and he makes an immoral proposition and said he'll pay her $10,000. She said, wow, $10,000, really? What hotel room and what time, honey? He said, no, 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 we're not done. Let me ask you another question. Would you do the same thing, please, for $10? She said, $10? What kind of a woman do you think I am? He said, ma'am, we've already established that. Now we're just negotiating the price. What are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that whether it's a $10,000 sin or whether it's a $10 sin, all sin is sin to God. All sin is an offense to his holiness. All sin at its base level says, God, you can be God, but you can't be God here. All sin. And so that's why he prayed it like that. He said, Lord, if there is anything, he didn't say if there's big things. He didn't say if it's pop, uh, the, the common thing. He said, Lord, if there's anything, no matter how other people commit it, no matter how, how, how long it's been there, no matter, no matter how long it's been a habit, no matter how many thousands of times I justified it in my mind, no matter, how, no matter, no matter whether anybody knows about it or not, Lord, anything. Lord, if there's any offensive way, big, small, $10, $10,000, Lord, if there's any offensive way in me, move it. Any ungodly way in me, move it. Change it, replace it. You know why, you know why I said, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me? Because Satan will use anything. There was a poor man in a poor country that wanted to sell his house. He couldn't sell it. He only wanted $5,000 for this little shack of a house. Couldn't sell it, couldn't sell it, couldn't sell it. One day there's a man knocking at the door. He said, sir, I'd like to make an offer, $3,000 for your house. The man said, no, I'm not going to sell it for less than five. I'm not going to negotiate the price. He said, Okay. So another three or four months go by, he still can't sell it. So one day he goes and he finds that prospective buyer. He says, are you still in the market for a house? He said, yes. He said, are you still interested in mine? He said, I would be. The price is too high. He said, all right, I've changed my mind. I want to sell it to you for $3,000. 
your offer under one condition. He said, what's the condition? He said, I must retain ownership of one nail driven over the door just inside the dwelling. He said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You're telling me you're going to let me buy your house for $3,000 and I'll move in with my family. You're moving out. I'll own the house. But you're just going to own one nail driven over the door inside? He said, exactly. He said, well, I don't understand it, but deal. So they struck the deal, and, and so he paid him $3,000, and the man moves out, and the new family moves in. A few years go by. One day, there's a knock at the door. It's the original owner. He's back. He said, I'm buying the house back from you for $3,000. He said, excuse me? He said, I'm buying the house back from you, and I'll pay you what you paid me, $3,000. He said, two things. Number one, it's not for sale. Number two, if it was for sale, I've made improvements. The market's gone up. It'd be worth more than that, at least five. No, he said, no, you didn't hear me. I didn't, I'm, not, I'm not asking you if you'll sell it to me. I'm telling you that I'm going to buy the house back, and it's going to be a lot easier if you'll just accept my $3,000. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not selling you the house back. And he slammed the door in, the, in his face. And the original owner said, fine. So he went out and bought, or he went out and found the carcass of a dead dog. He came back to the house that he no longer owned. He hung it on the nail he still rightfully owned. The house became so full of stench, uninhabitable, that the man sold him back his house for $3,000. Satan says, give God the house. I don't care. Satan says, go to church, give some money, sing in a choir, teach class. I do not care. Do the usher, do the parking, help the pastor be on staff. I don't care. Satan says, give God the house. All I want is just one nail because he knows if he can get just one nail, he'll hang every carcass of hell he can find and stink up and foul up the rest of your testimony for Jesus. And he's glad to wait. That's why David desperately came to God and he said, Lord, if there is any wicked thing. What does that mean? That means even just one nail. Replace it with that which is everlasting in God. The most powerful prayer a believer could pray. Guaranteed to be answered by God. It could change everything. Very few believers ever pray it. I wonder who'd pray it today. Let's stand together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's stand together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Moment of prayer together, just attitude of prayer. I'm not going to ask you to pray that prayer. Wait. I'm not going to ask you to pray that prayer. Here's what I believe. I believe that that prayer so challenges our flesh. I believe that prayer so cuts against the grain of what we've been lax about letting the devil set up in our lives for so long that I believe we need divine assistance to pray the prayer. I believe that. I believe God's got to help us pray it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you right now say, Lord, help me to pray this prayer. Help me to, help me to meet you at that level. Help me to, to seek you. Say, Scott, I don't want to do that. You know what? I've been there. I've been there. I've been so burnt out and I've been so fatigued spiritually that, that I've come to God before and I've said, Lord, I don't want to. But here's, listen, I, I had to say, Lord, I want to want to. And you know what? That's okay. See, if you're saved, you have a new heart. And no matter how bad life gets, deep down, that new heart remains. And it wants to please God. It wants to serve God. And it wants to sacrifice and go on to the deepest levels and the highest levels that came with Jesus. But sometimes it gets buried under a lot of stuff. And so sometimes we have to come and say, Lord, you know what? Honestly, for all I feel right now, I don't want to. Because I know I may have to give up some things that my flesh has enjoyed. Or I may have to change some influential friendships. Or I, I may, I, you may ask me to commit to something that I've been avoiding doing. But Lord, I, I don't want to do that. I, I honestly don't want to do that. But Lord, I want to want to. And so maybe that's you this morning. And you would just stand there and say, Lord, I want to want to. Would you help my want to? And he will. He will. So I guess, I guess the challenge is just start where you are. 
but come to him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to open the altar. And having prayed that prayer this morning and saying, Lord, help me to pray this prayer, that prayer. You've prayed, Lord, give me divine assistance. Would you trust that he's doing that? And would you come and would you lay this prayer before God? Could you imagine what could happen in your workplace if people went this radical for Jesus? Could you imagine what God could do if he had absolutely no hindrance and no obstacles in this family of believers because we're serious about even going to the furnace if that's what it takes? Say, Lord, I'm, I'm not interested in maintaining the status quo in my life. It, you change anything you want to change. Uproot anything you want to root. Plant anything you want to plant. What would happen if you prayed that? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen with your kids? What would happen in your witness? What would happen? What would happen in your walk with Jesus? What would happen in the sweetness of it, in the tenderness of it, in the closeness of it? What would happen if you prayed that? Would you come today and pray that? Would you offer that to God? Simple prayer. Reveal the unseen in me. Remove the unstable from me. Replace the ungodly way about me. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way, any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you offer that to God? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say amen, and the altar's open as that music plays. It's open. Father, we love you and praise you today. Thank you. Thank you that you're not mad at us, but you're wanting to discipline us as children. Just like we love our kids and we discipline our kids. You're not angry at us because all your wrath has been poured out on Christ 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you're not looking to beat us up, but you're looking to move us higher. Thank you that you're not looking to, to, to just critique, Lord, but you're looking to cleanse. Lord, help us today. May we be open channels, unclogged by the world, the flesh, and the devil, that the river of the Spirit could flow through us like never before. God, I pray we would see that awakening in our generation and that you would begin it inside our own circle. We pray it in Jesus' name and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Altar's open. Just begin to come right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. This is not about you and somebody else. This is about you and God. This is not, Lord, I pray she'll go down. I pray he'll go forward. I pray he heard this message. It's not fix them, change them, get them. He said, Lord, search me. Who'd come and say, Lord, it's me. It's about me and you right now. Me and you, God. I can't change anybody. I can't fix anybody. I've, pray, I've prayed about everybody else's sin, but today I'm bringing mine to you. I've, 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 I've pondered over everybody else's failures. Lord, today I just want to come and lay myself before you because I want to be restored. I want to be renewed. I want to be revived. I want to be freshly washed, freshly cleansed. And you know what you're going to experience? You're going to experience all that, for, the kind of forgiveness you did when you got saved, all that freshness and cleansing you did when you got saved. Because it's the same humility, and it's the same attitude, and it's the same faith, and it's the same God, and it's the same gospel, and it's the same blood, and that's what's available to you today. Renew us today in Jesus, Lord. We are not holding on to anything else but you. It's nothing in our life that we've loved or enjoyed or chased after or pursued or maintained or propped up or rationalized or, or excused that is more important than your good pleasure and your glory. There's nothing more important than your good pleasure and your glory. We're under the x-ray today, God. We're crawling up on the operating table willingly, trusting the Holy Surgeon, to do what is best in us, to do what is good, what is right.
Maybe someone's praying that prayer right now, and here's what God may be saying to your heart. Something like this. You're lost. You're on your way to hell. You're not right with God. You're not on your way to heaven. Maybe someone... So maybe someone's need here is not to get right with God, but someone has a need here to get saved, to become a Christian, to put your trust in Christ alone. Salvation and forgiveness is not by church membership. It doesn't come by baptism in water. It doesn't come by morality or good works or earning it, being a good person. None are righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. It comes by receiving God's free gift of salvation by faith. The question this morning is, where is your trust? What are you trusting in for salvation? And every other answer other than Jesus Christ alone is the wrong answer. Jesus is the only right answer. Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Maybe you prayed that prayer this morning and the first thing God said was, you're lost, you're on your way to hell, you need to be saved today so you'll go to heaven and and be used by me, be right with me. And you know what? That is the first thing God will deal with in a heart. If you've never been saved, God God doesn't want to talk about your family situation. God's not going to deal with any sinful habit. God's not going to address address any other area or issue in your life. The only thing God wants to discuss with you if you've never been saved is your salvation. That is first. The only prayer he hears and the only prayer he honors are those of believers because they have a high priest, Jesus, and you don't have that high priest if you're not saved interceding for you between you and God. And so the first thing he does is he said, he brings up this issue. You're not saved. You need to be saved. You're not a Christian. You'd be a Christian. You need, you need to put your trust in Christ and let him cleanse you. So maybe there's someone here that needs to settle that issue. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, would you pray this prayer right now? And there's nothing magical about this prayer. You have to mean it, but would you pray this prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Just pray that to him in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I'm on my way to hell. But I know that you died on the cross for me and I know that your blood is the only thing that can wash away my sins. Right now I accept your free gift of salvation. That you would be my savior. That you'd be my forgiver. And that you'd be the Lord of my life. I put my trust in you alone to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for hearing this prayer today. Thank you for writing my name down in heaven, a reservation that will never be changed. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you prayed that prayer, in a moment we're going to end this service. Would you find me or find Brother Andy or someone in this church that you trust, and would you just walk up to them and say, I prayed that prayer to be saved at the end. Not the search me, O God prayer, but I prayed, after praying that, I prayed to ask Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Would you let us know that? Would you share that with somebody? Don't leave here until you do share that with somebody. The devil would like to keep you isolated. Do not do that. Let us know so we can pray for you and help you grow in Jesus. Are you glad you came to church today? Is it worth it to engage God for his good pleasure and his glory? And uh, it's been a great, great, great weekend for me. I thank you so much for the honor of letting me preach. I've got a free gift for you that I want to share with you. It's going to be on the slide. You have to text me to get it. Text your name and email address to the number, and I'm going to send you a free audio gift from our ministry. It'll come to your email, but it starts with a text. And so that's, that slide will be up there. So accept our free gift, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again in the future. God bless you, and to God be the glory. Amen. 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 Did Scott bring a powerful word to us today? Amen. From God. What a preacher. He said he couldn't preach very good when he was younger, but as long as I've known him, he's always been able to preach good. Guys, what do we do with this now? For those of you that have made a decision to follow Christ, or maybe you have a friend or someone in your family that is seeking the Lord, you're witnessing to someone, we have a table back here in the back, we have some information we'd love to place in your hands, just pick that up on your way out. Guys, if you prayed that prayer and said, Lord, search me, what happens now? What happens between the altar and the door? It's easy to come in here and come to this altar because you got other people coming, you got people supporting you. It's like, yes, I can do this. I can take that stand. I can ask God, search me, God. 
Show me that thing. And for many of you, He's shown you that this morning. But don't let the enemy steal away what God has revealed to you. And by the time you get to that door, say, I know God, you revealed that to me. I know it's something I need to deal with, but I don't know if I don't know if those people out there will understand that. I don't know how I'll be received. I, I may have to give up a friendship if it means doing that. What happened in this altar, take it out that door and live it. Don't let the enemy steal this from you. Don't let him do it. Don't hand it over. I pray, I pray that you won't do that. I appreciate Scott. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for that word. If you did make a decision today, would you please come and let us know? The altar will remain open. We want to keep this a sacred place like we do every Sunday morning. So if you would like to receive prayer, some of our prayer ministers are going to be down at the front. And if you want to converse and and talk, please do that toward the back. Scott also has a table out in the foyer. Go check that out before you leave. If you're a first-time guest with us today, would you please go to the Guest Welcome Center at the back of the Worship Auditorium. We have a gift that we want to give you, okay? God bless you. Thank you so much for being in church today.